0: Here's a secret for the people going to raps. There's an event called the 232 where you ruck two miles, you run three miles, and then you ruck another two miles. The cadre have their rucks on too. They're rucking with you. They're running with you. They're there the whole time. And I think that that is so important to not only the assessment selection process for like, hey, we're getting eyes on, but for establishing a standard for expectation of how you're going to lead and how you're going to be led.
1: Uh, Hey guys, welcome back to another week of Mops and Mows with Drew and Alex. Alex, who do we have joining us this week?
2: We got a good one. And in this particular case, unlike previous ones, I'm actually going to read this bio word for word because it's a solid bio. Thanks, Tyler.
1: Solid, Solid bio.
2: So Tyler Fillion is currently the company first sergeant and senior enlisted advisor for the 75th Ranger Regiment Selection and Training Company. The company conducts assessment and selection programs known as RASP-1 and RASP-2, as well as a pre-Ranger school course known as Small Unit Ranger Tactics. Uh, They also run an extensive pre-RASP program that prepares service members for RASP-1. Tyler joined the Army in 2005, served initially in 2nd Brigade 1st Infantry Division, where he did a 15-month deployment to Baghdad during the surge from August 06 to November 07, and a follow-on 12-month deployment to Iraq in 2008. Between those deployments, he attended Ranger School and encountered some young privates from Ranger Regiment, and upon coming home, attended one of the first editions of RASP-1 in 2010. He was assigned to 3rd Ranger Battalion, completed a myriad of follow-on courses and deployments. Tyler served in multiple positions in 3rd Battalion, and was assigned to the Regimental Headquarters, where he served for 15 months as the lno to Airborne School and Sand Hill doing recruiting, which he describes as a, quote, formative experience. Tyler then completed RAST 2 and was assigned to 1st Battalion in Savannah, where he was a platoon sergeant, recon platoon sergeant, staff NCO, and company 1st sergeant. He was then selected to come back to Fort Moore and was assigned to selection and training in August of 2022. Tyler holds a master's degree in psychology with a focus on industrial and organizational psychology, and he specifically wants the Mobs and most team to mention that it was achieved using army tuition assistance, unit-level education counselors, and a chain of command that wanted to see him be the very best version of himself. Again, I am reading this bio word for word. Finally, Tyler cares deeply about human performance, is a huge believer in H2F, and loves training and preparing soldiers and rangers for the hardest day of ground combat. He believes our environment is like it has never been before, and we owe it to our nation and people to adapt as fast as possible to provide our soldiers the best possible chance to be ready when the moment arrives. Preparing for that moment also makes you a better person.
1: I think that's the most inspirational bio we've had. I feel motivated. I'm going to go work out. Yeah, I'm going to go to RASP. Yeah, no, this was, uh, well, I guess I should say, first of all, for folks listening in on this, thinking that you're going to get some insider secrets on the ranger process, whether that's ranger school or RASP, you're not, he keeps a lot of that stuff close to the chest for obvious reasons. But like you mentioned, he is, he is very passionate about physical culture, especially as it pertains to sort of the current landscape of physical culture. And we, we ask him some different questions about what are some of the most common Failures people experience going through these programs. What what drives a lot of the successes? How do the changes in Army culture around the ACFT play into some of this stuff? And it, it's one of those conversations that goes a lot of different places. But I think every single one of those places was really interesting.
2: Yeah, and this is a guy who has seen professionalized human performance get integrated into the units he's in over the course of a career, and I think he had some really good insight onto. How that works, what the cultural change that's associated with it looks like, how it can benefit an organization, how they have to kind of sort out the roles between coaches and staff and then NCOs who are leading the units and things like that. So a lot of really cool insight um, from a guy who's been out there doing it for a full career. And if
1: his bio did not get you psyched up to go run through a wall, certainly the conversation will. So enjoy That, that was pretty how more like actually. Doughboy Stadium, let's go.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good. I love Doughboy Stadium. <laughs> All
1: right. So I screwed up and I, I said RASP. I, I screwed it up. Correct me now that we're recording.
0: Okay. I love Ranger School. If I had to pick one developmental part of my career that I would not want to let go, of, it would be Ranger School. However, Ranger School is a trade off unit, it's a school, 70 75- foot. Ranger regiment is an operational, uh, unit. It's a special operations unit falls under you suck, do a bunch of different things, but it's, it is not ranger school. So I don't know if that clears it up.
2: This, this also is an important clarification. I think most of our army listeners probably already get this, but we have a fair number of people that are coming to this from like the strength and conditioning world Mm -hmm. or medical or something like that. And that is also where the clarification is between ranger qualified and being a ranger. Tabbed versus scrolled.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I like the school is a great accomplishment. I know. I think some people get too wrapped up, a little too wrapped up in that. Sometimes, you know, like go to Ranger School—that's a huge accomplishment. But don't get on social media and get wild about like tabs <laughs> versus scrolls. You know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, can you can you explain? RASP, and this can get as, as broad as we want to, but can you explain it, kind of what you're looking for, some of the physical demands? Um, I know a lot of this is probably online for better or for worse, but from where you sit, what is, what is all of that?
0: Okay, RASP is, uh well, there's two levels to RASP. There's RASP one, which I think we'll probably talk the most about. Um, and that is E1 through E5. So it's Ranger Assessment Selection Program 1. It changed from a three-week program, which used to be called RIP um, prior to 2000, or just at around 2010 um, to meet the demands really of the GWAP. And what RASP is, is it's an assessment selection program. Um, we're really, we create uh, what I think is just really a venue for people to to demonstrate the qualities that we're after, you know, which we're, we're really looking for like the RSOF attributes, um, integrity, Courage, personal responsibility, professionalism, team player—similar to other special operations units. So we we provide that kind of in our own way, um, with our with our own flavor. Um, the first four weeks of the course, I think, are well. I know they're definitely the most intense um, physically. Do you have to be an Olympic athlete to make it through? No. Do you have to be be able to, like, turn out six-minute miles over and over? No, you don't. But do you have to have a, a general level of physical fitness that is probably above an average soldier? You do. We give people an opportunity to build that up in pre RASP, which I think we can probably circle back around to that. Um But really, I think the, the secret to RASP is it, it gives people opportunities, because it's eight weeks long, to continuously... We owe those attributes and and demonstrate them. Um, Now, there are physical standards that you need to meet. So just right off the bat, cut and dry, you have to pass our fitness test, which we recently just changed to kind of align with the ACFT. 41 uh, hand release push-ups, 235 plank, 40-minute or faster five-mile, and six chin-ups. You got to be able to do a 12 mile foot march, 35 pounds dry, um, meaning like your water and your helmet, which you will carry, don't count as weight. Uh, that's three hours. Um, and those are the two uh, major physical standards um, that you have to meet. We also have candidates do the RPAP, the Ranger Physical Assessment Test, which is two miles in kit, a rope climb, uh, a skid drag back to a caving ladder from there do what is a, supposed to be a sprint but is usually like a, a walk slash trot by that point <laughs> uh, and then you gotta and then you gotta hop an eight foot wall um so those for us that's kind of our, our bread and butter but it's it's uh it's not overly job specific but it's really like hey you, you gotta be able to meet these standards um you gotta be able to do these things um and you have to show that you're not just gonna give up when it gets hard and that you're going to be able to continue to be a team player throughout the events, good attitude. So that's really, uh, I think, what we're looking for overall.
2: So does it tend to be not keeping up with physical expectations that leads to people having a hard time with RASP, or does it tend to be issues with the other components that you guys are looking for?
0: Well, probably both. I think what came first like the fact that you got really really stressed out because you were physically maxed out um like is that what was that what caused you stress so really why people leave RASP? um i think one of the primary reasons is, is we would term it as you self-assess right so you go out and you have a couple bad days and we do a lot of worm pt in there because um, the worm is like a great equalizer. Um, You have a bad day or two on there and you can't rally. And a lot of the candidates that just end up saying, well, you're not what I'm looking for. And they decide on their own, which we tell them this all the time. You're not here to assess and select yourself. You're just here to do your best. Um, So that's one reason. Uh, Another reason is people just end up saying, uh, Hey, this just isn't for me, Um, which is a kind way of just, you know, taking a, a gentleman or ladies exit out. So those are really the two primary reasons. I think it's like a, a resiliency factor in there. But it is is it because of fitness? That probably has a lot to do with it. But I think also we see really fit people that just you know ring the bell for for lack of a better term.
1: You guys, because we've talked before with folks involved in different selection. Programs and there's conversations around debriefing people that pass and or fail. Is that is that part of it? And I guess if if that is part of it, what are common themes that you see on either side of the coin in terms of people that pass and people that fail?
0: Have you ever seen there's a uh, it's a Pegasus company. I don't know if you're familiar with like the British pairs. Uh, they have a great documentary about their their process. But but to answer your question, check that documentary out. I think you'd like it. But um,
1: boom, show notes.
0: There is a counseling process at the end, and we do we do a small amount of just data capturing on the end of, as to why people leave, um, and we do try to leave people hopeful. You know, we do try to like let people know that like, hey, you can come back here when you're ready, and here are some things that you probably need to work on. But you do you know you do need to communicate. But the circle back to the pre-rasp thing is like, we will give people an ample amount of time in pre-rasp to get in shape. And we have a a codified program that we use to do that. Usually before people class up and rasp one, like when I grab all the data, 150 soldiers of who's, who's about to class up the average runtime might be like a 34 minute, five mile. So like, if you go sell that to the army and be like, Hey, I got a, a bunch, I got 70 people here who just failed RASP1 And This is the quality of their physical performance. Like, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> so we do a good job, I think, on the front end. Actually, I know we do a good job on the front end, um, thanks to the cadre, Like, and their just tireless effort to, to meet these people where they're at and just give them an opportunity with a very scaled approach to get better, to really pass one.
1: Can we, can we talk pre-rasp? Cause I know we've circled it a couple of times, like just what is that? So take it from the
0: start, right? So you show up, uh, you can, you can join from a bunch of different places, right? We have like over 60 MOSs in the regiment. So you might be a, a parachute rigger from, I think it's Fort Greg Adams now. Um, <laughs> you'd go up on, off the bus, um, to pre-rasp right off the bat. Um, mm-hmm you're going to be received, you're going to get in processed. Um, We're going to start teaching you some stuff like how to pack your ruck. I know there's a lot of comments on our Instagram about ruck packing. We actually teach that like three or four times uh, before the class starts. Um, We teach map reading. We teach a lot of the skills that are in there. But I think really what we do is we do a scaled approach to very similar PT to what soldiers are going to see in RASP one and we ramp it up as we approach uh, class up. And then about three weeks out from class up, we take a PT test. And those who meet the class up standard, we uh, we put them into rasp Those who do not, we talk to them and tell them, hey, look, like statistically, your chances of success right now maybe aren't as good as they would be if you stayed for another four or five weeks. And in those four or five weeks, we just... Do all of the basic things, which I think Alex, when you visited, we kind of talked about this. Like, what do you need to do to be a soldier? Well, you need like a good level of aerobic fitness. You need to be able to climb, jump, bound, run. Uh, we don't need you to like clean and jerk yet. <laughs> like we will teach you that later, but it's really about preparing for the the rigors of the course. Um, so pre rasp does that in a in like a very scientific manner the the guy that's in charge of it right now. I've uh, shout out to him. He's a certified strength and conditioning coach. He has a degree in, I think, strength and conditioning or kinesiology, super interested in it, passionate about it. And it is a really well-built program. I think without that, given the um the candidates that we're receiving from initial military training, uh we would, we would be in a lot worse position than, than kind of what we're in right now. But we're not, uh, we're not in the business of like complaining about that. Like all we care about is say the day you show up, like we're here to train you. Once you go into RASP one, you're in assessment selection node. Um, so that's kind of pre RASP. There's a lot more. Uh, we, we are, we are a microcosm of like the H2F overall. We have cognitive in there. We have nutrition in there. Um, but we really try to prepare these people to be successful.
1: Have you noticed a uh, a change in sort of the overall, I don't know, archetype of selectees coming through or candidates coming through the program? Because that's another theme that we've hit on in a number of episodes, just sort of the change in culture around, you know, Americans at large, no pun intended, but um, specifically the military. And have you guys noticed that in the last couple of years, just the the change in who's coming to the program? So you use the word archetype. It's a college word. It's my Harvard word. Yeah, it's uh, The archetype is the same, right?
0: It's the warrior, right? It's the, it's the archetype of the warrior. So someone, it's the person that like wants to stick their hand out into the unknown and be like, Hey, what's out there. That is, that is strong. That is still there. And if it wasn't like we wouldn't have a program. So I think that the thing that people go up with, what they're actually after, after, it's the same as it's always been. Now, if if we were to just imagine that thing as a fire, right? Like for some, maybe twenty years ago it was a bonfire. Uh, I think now now maybe the fire is just like maybe it's a little bit smaller, right? Because there's other factors in there, but I think the desire is still there. Now the condition of the people that are arriving i wasn't paying attention to it 15 years ago or 10 years ago because that, that's not that wasn't my job but i th- but i think that it is different you know i i think that even just talking to people that worked where i work now they used to take the 300 candidates they had and whoever didn't max the pt test to class up they might not make it in the course now we have to train people for six weeks. Now, the quality that comes out of the back end of RASP1, I think, is the same, if not better. And that six weeks might have actually done the unit some benefit, right? Because we're training them in our way to, to meet our demands. But I don't, I can't, I can't like accurately tell you, like, yeah, for sure, these guys aren't as good as the guys 10 years ago because I don't know. But I can tell you that the thing that they're after is the same thing that, I was after, you know, 18 years ago, they want to touch the fire. They want to, they want to journey. They want to go out and just explore the the craziest place in the army that they can find.
2: So you, you touched on something there that I want to ask about, and I'll throw it back to when I met you. Cause like right around the corner from you were some, some pre-RASP guys getting ready to go to RASP, working out, doing all sorts of stuff and, and just looking at them superficially They don't look like anything particularly special physically, right? They're like relatively normal dudes. You said like above, above the average for the army, but like not nothing crazy, like relatively normal, but then just like a few blocks away, I go look at the product that comes out the back end of rasp and is actually in operational Ranger battalions. And to be honest, those guys are something pretty special physically, like something that you're doing there is working. Smaller t-shirts. And I would I would love to know yeah, like <laughs> yeah, what's what's going on between when they arrive for pre-RASP in that six weeks of training and what you're producing, not necessarily immediately on the back end of rasp. Maybe it's being embedded in that culture for a few years that does it. But like what what is it? Is it the strength and conditioning, or is it the culture around the strength and conditioning? Just curious about that process.
0: I think it's probably all that. So for one, I think that we have something that is really a a part of what our program measures, right? Is like just commitment. Like if you really want to be there, um, that's a, that's a huge help. Right. Um, The other thing that we have is we have legacy where I think that our unit has performed well in combat. So we don't necessarily combat as much as, as the army does. I think of people maybe being like, this isn't good for me or we shouldn't do this because they look around at their, squad leader and that's what he's doing and that guy's jacked you know and he's moving out so that helps it's like some of those things all help right um we also put these people through a selection process to make sure that they have some of these qualities so then you take that person right and it's like the age-old question like would you rather have like the ability uh or or let me ask you this like Drew, drew what's your bench
1: geez, I wish you didn't ask me that. Not enough. 285, maybe 295.
0: Okay. Okay. So if I told you that you could bench 305 for the rest of your, till you're 70 or (laughs) you could get, you want to bench big, right? You could have the desire to want to bench more and you just like, that was your secret ingredient was just this desire to want to do more. Which one would you take?
1: It's the desire, right? So I can bench 305 until I'm 70 or have the desire to bench more. I see what you're saying. Yes. For the rest of your life,
0: right? I think the thing that we have is that our people first of all have that like desire, right? It's like they just they want to do it. The second thing that we have is we have a cultural secret weapon that from the day that you show up, our love language and our unit is really it's about affective trust it's about like hey i know that this person cares about me so when they're telling me like hey we're going to go and we're going to work out we're going to do this thing it's because i actually want to prepare you for combat i actually want to take care of you so you take those things and then you layer them in to to f program that has already existed for i think about 13 years and you go, hey, we got to get better at all these things. How are we going to do it? You go down to a coaching staff and you get a program. Right. And probably by the time that your squad leader has is a squad leader, he's probably been to our like internal unit education program, like two or three times. Like I think I've personally done the barbell training or like our our raw training, Ranger Athlete Warrior training, like three times. So, what are you responsible for at that point as a squad leader? Are you responsible for coming up with the program? Well, maybe. And some guys still do that. Or are you responsible for going up every day and doing what's on the sheet, taking care of your, your subordinates by like being in the right uniform, the right place, at the right time and being responsible for the program? That's how you get those guys that are really fit like Alex after after you came I think you posted something you're like I don't know about these guys in the gym I don't remember what it was and I almost hit you up and said why don't you come on back and visit (laughs) Uh, and I'll take some some cadre out of there right because it's really about like discipline to a process not necessarily like some random thing that we're just going to do every day and the edge that we have is committed people uh, a trust in our coaching staff and the resources that we have and really just, yeah, it's about the process, not really the outcome. So you put five years of that on somebody that feels a plus ranger school and some other opportunities in there. What would you have been able to do if you knew what you know now or somebody just made you do it right for like eight or 10 years? Well, that's what our like, squad leaders and platoon sergeants are right so i think i don't know if that answers your question it's a process
2: i think that's awesome
1: i want to ask because you've talked i mean we've hit on the tradition of of things quite a bit and i mean the ranger tradition in the army is prolific but specifically for this piece of it one of the things and I'll, i'll kind of reference big army here because we've seen now with h2f and with the ACFT, like this, this wholesale change in culture. And I don't think anybody prior to that change would have said the culture was necessarily bad, but here we are looking at a cultural change. And I'm curious for a, a, an organization like yours that is so steeped in tradition and history and for good reason, in a lot of cases, how do you guys create that change or, or is there room for change in terms of like, you know, emerging physiology around how to train athletes, emerging science around, you know, optimum nutrition. What does that look like for you guys without losing that piece that makes you so impressive, which is the the culture and the tradition, if that makes sense. Okay.
0: I'm going to try to come at this in a couple of ways. So Alex, were you on the, uh, the master fitness trainer team that came to first Ranger Battalion?
2: I was not okay so i have heard i have heard about how it went though
1: <laughs> i have not i want to hear how it went <laughs> how did it go so before i like put
0: my foot in my mouth here, well well first I,
2: I are you are you talking about master fitness trainer or are you talking about when they launched the acft
0: when they launched the acft yeah
2: so so i've i think dr east might have mentioned this actually when he came on our podcast i think he specifically cited like beta testing with ranger regiment and things like that and he uh he points to the testing they did there as like proof that things are already fine. Like there's not any like secret to this. Cause there was nobody there that was worried about failing. Like they'd never been training for the ACFT before. They never knew anything about it. But the only question was like, Hey, what's it takes to max this thing? Awesome. Let's go do it. <laughs> yeah. No further, no further questions.
0: So I, I took that test. Nobody told us that we were taking the ACFT. They told us we were getting training on how to grade it so we were like working out i missed breakfast one of my squad leaders who's a complete machine also missed breakfast right and we're in this class and they're setting the dead the the trap bars up and we're like what are we doing and they're like oh you guys are taking this test and we're like oh okay (laughs) i guess we're taking this test now." And I and I just remember because I started my career in the conventional army, uh, the look on the people's faces when the guys were kind of not they weren't being rude, but they're just like, we got it. It's a trap bar deadlift. Hey, what's the max? (laughs) And that was the question at everything. Now, you guys have posted about the deadlift specifically and then like a couple other things. We were never worried about what the test was going to be. And there's like a bunch of reasons for that. Right. If you're generally fit, you don't really care. You're just like, let's just do it. What is this thing? Yeah, let's go try it out. Let's go see what happens. When you know that, like, you don't have it, what is your reaction going to be? You're going to go, oh, we don't want to do this. <laughs> oh, this is, you know, this is kind of silly. Which I'm not like saying that every counter to the ACFT is like is bad. I just think like, you know, we weren't worried about it. Um, And I don't know if that answers your question, but, like, generally, people are kind of excited. They're like, oh, this is kind of cool. This is a good opportunity to, like, test a couple of different things. And I think that what our unit has done a good job of outside of our testing is on any given Tuesday, you could be like, hey, we're going to do a platoon PT comp. And you don't know what's going to be in that thing. You could be on the VersaClimber for an hour or you could be. Uh doing a stretch shoot, or you could be on the obstacle course, like you just don't know. So I think because we have that that like idea that, like, hey, we could go to war tomorrow, and that's kind of our mindset. We don't really need to focus specifically on the ACFT because you just do a bunch of everything in a in a controlled manner. And like the ACFT isn't really going to be a problem. So as a unit, when the army was like, do the ACFT, and I remember our regimental commander was like, hey. Uh, they're asking for us to throw some scores in this thing. People were pumped up. <laughs> we were like, "Hey, let's go try this thing out." Um, the, the original runtime was pretty hot. Was pretty hard. It Was like yep. eleven minutes or something. Yeah, uh,
2: eleven minutes. mile?
0: guys love that though. They were it like, was. Oh. It
2: was. I think just sub twelve was like the original maxing score for seventeen to twenty-one. Yeah, it was. It was pretty stout. And then
0: I think the deadlift was pretty heavy too. Yeah, I, I just remember people kind of being excited. They're like, "Oh, VT test that I can't max. This is awesome. Like, I got
2: something to work at now." So you've you've triggered me for sure. Um, <laughs> I was I was not there to roll it out with the Rangers, but I did do a lot of like teaching people the ACFT for the first time, teaching them how to grade it, having them take it for the first time, all that kind of stuff. And I will tell you that. The experience was pretty similar at every other unit i went to and it looked nothing like how you describe it going with 175 uh, it was a hundred percent like trying to poke holes in it trying to find gimmicks to get around just doing what they know they're supposed to do like complaining about whether it's super relevant or not like trying to like are you against the test in the first place like just the the sheer quantity of nonsense around like how can i avoid actually just going for it on this thing and taking it seriously was incredible. And then you talked about how guys were excited to like throw some scores in there and get after it and stuff. But I have witnessed places like two things stand out one routinely hearing about people, including relatively senior people, sandbagging the test so that when the scores got finalized, they would be lower. Like as, as long as we do really bad now they'll have to lower the test once it's for record. That was a common thing. And then I do remember witnessing and I'll, I'll go ahead and call out the unit. Um, it was, it was 18th airborne Corps headquarters and it was their ACFT. Probably like the first one they had to do is a unit, like right on that field, right in front of core headquarters. And like a, a guy crossed the finish line at like 2150 something. And like pumped his arm in the air and said, yeah, for the two mile. Yeah. For the two mile and yeah. it, it
1: hurt my soul like it was it was a little rough i'm gonna get a lot of grief at work now that you called out 18th Airborne Corps headquarters <laughs> thank you
0: i'm not sure what that's all about to be honest i mean I, I could i could certainly throw some things out there i'm not gonna do it but i'll go <laughs> back to this like the idea of and i and i believe in this and maybe i've been spoiled because i think i have the best leaders in the army like what is good leadership? It's like good leadership is like somebody who can like tell you how messed up you are and you leave that conversation feeling so encouraged. Like that's good leadership. And I think that is like the the ranger regiment, my experience in it, like we've cornered the market on that as like a skill. I know that my leaders, like from the, from the RCO to RSM, if you're like, hey, we got to take an ACFT tomorrow, they'd be like, all right, cool. A little no-notice challenge. Like they wouldn't be upset about it. And why? Because I think they care about our mission, right? So if I look at them and I say, hey, these guys believe in it and they think it's going to make us better. Somebody's obviously researched this thing or figured it out. Like, why don't we just like go in and just like give it a shot and see what happens? You can't tell me that the Army won't be fitter if we just accept it and start trying to get better at it. Like, you can't tell me that. I don't think any I don't think anybody could do it reasonably, at least not with a clean conscience.
1: I mean, we'll certainly have more fitness equipment regardless, which I think is a net positive.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the and the injury stuff, which you, you got me triggered now, like people talking about the injuries and everything. Like, I think that people really just no SIBO themselves sometimes where they're like, Oh, if we do a deadlift, they are just gonna get hurt. But no, actually, that's not true at all. Like like, you could get hurt, but probably not, you know? So I think
1: this would be an impossible study, but it'd be cool to see the rate of injury for people who deadlift versus who never deadlift ever. Because You could probably make the argument that non-deadlifters would be higher.
0: I have a running rule, and I think I have some friends who also have this rule. Actually, I know I do. If your back hurts, that you need to actually deadlift because it just kind of pulls everything back into alignment. You feel a little bit better, you know? It's like if or if your back starts hurting, it's probably because you haven't been lifting enough weights. That might be more true than the opposite. You know,
1: I think you could probably you
0: probably would get some people. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm probably gonna get ripped
2: up in the comments for while. You'll get
1: equally ripped and then praised. I think that's one of those statements that will divide it right in half. Yeah.
2: Well, <laughs> so this is a story that I think I might have told on the podcast before. I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I vividly remember it. And I talk about it all the time. I was, it was early. in when I was teaching master fitness trainer and I can't remember if it's afternoon of day one or morning of day two, where you introduce the class to the deadlift. It's the first like movement instruction that happens during the course. And we had this lieutenant in the course. Uh, I think he was national guard. I don't remember what state, but they had sent him because he was extremely fit according to them.
0: Yeah. Which I'm going to interrupt you. Like, like why are you sending that guy?
2: So that's a whole conversation okay. and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that one for sure. But the, the, when, when they said he's extremely fit at the time, that meant he was extremely good at the APFT, right? He yeah. could do a lot of pushups. He could do a lot of situps, and he can run really fast. And so we're, we're teaching people how to do the deadlift and he throws out his back deadlifting something like 120 to 160 pounds, somewhere in that range. And weigh? uh i would ballpark him at 155 maybe 150 i don't know like skinny guy but fit all that kind of stuff but he he throws out his back and we ask him like hey man is this just like a freak accident like what's going on he's like oh no 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 like this kind of happens all the time i'll be good in like a couple days or something like wait you've you've been identified as extremely physically fit but you routinely throw out your back lifting amount of weight that could be like a ruck, right? Or person it's like, or like dragging a person or right? like, any <laughs> like fairly routine. No, nah,
0: nah, you don't need to worry about that. It's not real.
2: So <laughs> like that, that seems like a huge concern. I don't know. No, like no, why National it Guard. I don't yeah, know.
0: It's, it's uh yeah. I mean the, the resistance to a lot of it, I just, it is hard to stomach and I think professionally, I know for guys in our unit, it's hard for them to stomach too. You know, they're like, why, why are people so upset about this? You know, like it's actually going to make you better. You will You will be fitter if you just accept it. Like, and so what if your score isn't good? Like right now, if you train for the ACFT for six months, you're going to get a lot better, like quickly, especially if you haven't been training, especially if you've just been doing push-up sit-up improvement, you know?
1: Do we think that do we think that resistance to the ACFT gets phased out over time? Or do we think that it's just kind of baked into the early culture and it's just always gonna be that way? I mean, I wasn't really around all that much with the APFT, but like were people complaining about that for the entirety of its existence? This is a rhetorical, well, not even rhetorical. You guys can go I
0: don't know. I didn't really experience that. I think the thing with the APFT is like you could kind of game it a little bit more and people knew how to play the game. You can't really play the game in the sprinter I carry. <laughs> you can't really play the game on the, on the deadlift. Like you're either picking it up or you're not, you know? Um, so I, I think that that has a, there's a component to that too, is like, it's a really hard test to kind of mess around with. And I think that people similar to the guy that Alex just described, there are a lot of people who kind of made their, their, their way and their units by um i experienced this a lot when i was in the conventional army i was like yeah that guy's a pt stud but he was the guy that alex just described you know to answer your question i I think that it will eventually start to go away which to my understanding when the mft folks visited us at first battalion that was kind of what the army knew is that like like hey is this going to be rough for a little bit but like in 10 years like we'll have less injuries because of the way we're going to have to train people will be better prepared for combat, whatever is like, we're just in that stage right now where it just hurts and people don't want to do it.
2: I think it's already getting better, to be honest. I think it's resistance to change. People have issues with it regardless. And I mean, having spent most of my time on active duty under the APFT, I think people knew it wasn't very predictive of your performance at your actual job. Like that was a fairly common thing it took me, it took me until I was in my first unit. I remember there was a, an infantry company commander. I don't remember whether he was still in the S3 shop when I had this conversation with him or if he was already in command, but he was also a prior enlisted infantryman. And he talked about, like, I was confused because he wasn't maxing his two mile run, but he was in the gym training other things than just his two mile run, which is the thing he wasn't maxing, right? Like he was in there deadlifting and squatting and things like that. And Lieutenant Alex was all confused. I was like, "What are you doing deadlifts and squats for? Shouldn't you only be training your run? Because that's the thing you're not maxing on your APFT." So, so glad you've changed. I, hey, yeah. growth, man, it's important. I had I needed mentors and <laughs> stuff, Lieutenant right? Alex is incredibly annoying. <laughs> probably,
1: <Cool>. it's true. <laughs> probably, yeah, it's but, probably true. You're probably wearing he was, tights when you walked out to him, too, weren't you? He was yeah. the
2: one. I don't think I owned any tights at that point, but uh <laughs> he was the one who explained to me, like, "Hey, like that, that's I'm not here to train for the APFT." Like I'll take the APFT and I'll do good in the APFT and stuff, but that's not what drives my training. What drives my training is what I know I have to be prepared to do for my job. And that was pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that back to the ranger regiment, like I think that we do that. And I think that we set conditions for people to understand that when they're in grasp and we assess and select people who are about that and they want to be led and they want to be driven. Um, and I think it's, we talked about this when you came. Alex is like the bread and butter of RASP1 to me is that with the exception of your like individualized critical events, which would be like your PT test and your 12 mile, there's like seven or eight cadre that do every single event with you. So if they're going to take you out and, you know, like, here's a secret for the people going to RASP, there's an event called a 232 where you ruck two miles, you run three miles and then you ruck another two miles. The cadre have their rucks on too. They're rucking with you, they're running with you, they're there the whole time. And I think that that is so important to not only the assessment selection process for like, hey, we're getting eyes on, but for establishing a standard for expectation of how you're gonna lead and how you're gonna be led. It is a hard duty to be a RASP cadre. And I, I just, like my hat is totally off to those guys. I go to work every day and I'm like the worst guy in the building. Cause those guys show up and they pound the road and they, and they get it done every day selflessly, really. Um, it's, and that, that to me is like, if you come in right from the very beginning and somebody just says, Hey, look at my uniform, look at my attitude, look at my demeanor, look how much I care, look at my effort. And now follow me. That might be the way that you like change the culture or that might be the way like the ACFT doesn't really matter. Or when you're at the bottom of talker guard, it's like, hey, we got to go all the way up there to get our buddies. No one goes, well, not today. My back hurts, you know. (laughs) People go, hey, roger that, you know. And I I think that, or what I hope that the Army starts to remember soon, because I think, I fear sometimes that we kind of lose sight of it because we're not at war. Like, I can't take the grade out of talker guard. Like I can't make that thing like less steep, you know. I can't make the door-to-door fighting in Fallujah like require less courage. So what we need to make sure that we're doing every day, like you can't you can't replicate that, but you can build resiliency. Like we know that, you know. So like we can get into these like long debates about programming and I think Colonel klepper talked about this too when he was on. You guys like. We can do all that, or we can just get to work and build the things that we know matter, like in war, and also get fitter at the same time. Because like the conditions of like war fighting, they're not changing. Like like they are what they are. The qual- the quality of candidate or person or whoever that shows up to your unit that you're upset about, oh, their fitness level, like like you better start meeting them where they're at and getting them ready to go because the, the conditions of war are what they were, are what they are you can go on social media and see what's happening in ukraine like that looks like world war one with automatic weapons yeah.
1: You know.
2: i think ranger regiment is a vivid example of something i've talked about a little bit before but i think and this is not an original thought for me i, I read it somewhere i just don't know where but People tend to rise or fall to the expectations that are set for them, right? Like if you set a really low bar, people will settle into that comfortable low bar. And if you set a really high bar, people will strive for that really high bar. And I think we we have an issue in the culture of as soon as the army for the first time said like, all right, I think we set that bar too high, we'll lower it. You get people saying like, oh, I guess it turns out we can get them to lower the bar. And that's not a good thing to have in people's heads. I think, I think that's part of the core of the problem.
0: I think, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's like standard goal setting theory, right? If the, if the goal is like so far away that you can't get there, you're going to just, you know, you don't want to look in that mirror. Right. So you're just going to discard it or discredit it. But if it's just hard enough, right. Or the people who are saying, Hey, we're going to do this thing, kind of meet you where you're at and you take it to scale. Right. It's like, it becomes a little less daunting. And and we battle that too. So like my last company that I was in, I said like, hey guys, we're going to run a five mile. I told them like originally, I'm like, I don't care what your time is. I'm not going to have your time. The only people that are going to have your time are the strength and conditioning coaches so that they can like batch you into your ability groups when we go into our next program. Like, I don't care what the time is. All I want you to do is just show up and do your best. And I actually think, And this is like, I could be totally wrong. I actually think people did better when they were like, Hey, I'm just, I'm just here to like see where I'm at and make some progress. But when you tell them that, Hey, so like, I I agree with what you said. I think where we get it wrong is we ask too much too soon, similar to the ACFT. And then we go, Oh, why does no one want to do this? It's like, well, we, we were, we were way out in front of them. You know, maybe if we tell them like, Hey, just the five mile and in eight weeks from now like hey let's see if we can shave 30 seconds off and eight weeks later let's see if we can get a minute off right i think that's an important part of just integrating you know back to one of drew's previous questions like how do you make cultural change like you just meet people where they're at and you keep them hopeful but you do let them know like there's a really high standard here and just because you can't do it right now, we're still going to love you anyway. But, like, we have a plan. And, like, you're being evaluated on on your ability to, like, commit to the process that we're using to get you better. And if you're not going to do that, I don't know what we're going to do with you, you know? Super important. I think that's the military. That's just what it should be.
1: We've talked a couple of times now about, strength coaches and and the setup you guys have and i want to switch gears a little bit here and and just dive right into it what is ranger athlete warrior or more famously raw
0: raw is uh it is what h2f is now i think right i mean raw is the ranger athlete warrior so you have the this the same competency so you have the physical domain so you have like your strength and conditioning aspect you have the nutrition piece you have the spiritual piece or the or the cognitive piece in there, Wh- which one am I missing? I think I'm missing one.
2: Sleep,
1: sleep. There's a whole conversation sleep. there. <laughs> an so, odd, so we, odd pillar.
0: <laughs> well, we, we've been that one in with, I think the cognitive one as um, well. You should. Um, but I think sleep is like, you know, if you were to build that thing out like a house, like sleep, you the foundation of the whole thing. Um, but you know, why I know that because the the ranger athlete warrior, the human performance coaches have taught me that and educated me on that. I have an aura ring on right now because they gave that to me to help me monitor my sleep and like make micro improvements to like my behavior. Okay. But what is the, the program? I think most people think of it as a, Hey, there's just two coaches down the gym. And if I want to get better, I'm going to go to them and I'm going to use them, but it's way more integrated than that. Um, so that is certainly an aspect of it, right? Where you can go in, you can get programming. A lot of it is about the facilities that we have. Those are pretty nice. Um, those are pretty capable. And then on the periphery of that, you know, like I sh- if I strain my calf tomorrow, so I have a calf strain right now. So <laughs> I can go down there and there's a there's an athletic trainer and a physical therapist who, on the spot, uh, if they don't have a client, like can can triage me can help me out they talk to the strength conditioning coaches and go hey here's what's going on with him and i'm able to continue working out i'm able to continue doing the things that i need to do and then from there it's like hey if i'm really having trouble with my injury maybe i talk to the cognitive lady or she comes and finds me and we talk about like some growth mindset stuff and we frame this thing out and we kind of we, we try to bring it all together we try to embed that in our in our unit and even in Rasp, really in everything we do. Um, which Alex, I don't know if you ate in our chow hall. We have the best chow hall in the army because we have people that are invested in making sure that the the food that's in there is right, they understand the importance of it. And we have a lot of people that eat at our chow hall. Like our whole unit eats in our chow hall. And that is a that is a byproduct of the Ranger Athlete Warrior program. And the education aspect that, that is part of that. Um, so I don't think I answered your question great, but it is, it is really everything. And it's the utilization of it. And it's the, the education that is ongoing all the time. There's articles that come out. There's different challenges, which I think you guys posted one of them, like the, the pull up challenge. And I think that is, that is really what it is. It's about making sure that it's, it's really not just about fitness it's about wellness and making sure that we're ready and we're sharp and i think the army is trying to do that and i hope that people just start getting on board because we'll be better for it
2: so i think if i'm not mistaken i think raw was like 2007 when it first began something like that Vintage. And... it did yeah I imagine that was a pretty big cultural challenge in 2007 for an organization like Ranger regiment that prides itself on its physicality and things like that. I imagine it was pretty tough to like open the door to subject matter experts coming in with like the tacit admission there that they weren't necessarily subject matter experts themselves. Can you talk about the the process, that evolution of integrating it?
0: So I wasn't there for that initial part, but I do know from, from guys that were, they came out with like raw 1.0. Right. And like, some of the exercises that were in there were like I don't know what the, the correct term would be. A ball that you throw it sideways through what do you got.
1: What's, What's the, the name exercise? of it? Oh, yeah. It depends on who you ask. Lateral yeah. okay. lateral med ball toss against the wall. Yeah. Or somebody makes I up think, a dumb name for it and calls it.
2: Everybody like, loves calling it rotational, though. Yeah, rotational. yeah. Okay. So
0: whatever you want to call it. And I and I do know one story from a guy who was there they actually built a wall at first the time because there was a lot of drills like that in there with a med ball and people are like, these are dumb, you know, <laughs> this isn't helping me, but also culturally at that time, it's like you, you care about what you measure really. Right. So like if you measure the 12 mile ruck, like that's what you hang your hat on. If you measure the five mile run, that's what you hang your hat on. Um, I think when the RPAT came into it, which was an evolution of raw. I don't know what year that might've actually been right around 2007. Um, it's been around for a while. You start to kind of diversify a little bit, but I think initially there, there was some, some resistance, you know, but when you start to kind of go people that, Hey, we're not crazy and we're actually going to make you better in combat and we're going to have you hurt less and take care of your body a little bit better and oh by the way there's like codif money and other stuff tied to this where we're going to get facilities like people kind of start to buy in um and it's not to say that we don't still have organizational challenges right there are still people who I'm a big believer in like group training like I would love to just like get in a group of like 15 other people Like we're like a football team almost and work out together. And I think that that's uh, really important. But there are people who are like, oh, this is I need this certain program because this is what works for me. You know, a a good program works for 80 percent of the people, 100 percent of the time. And I think that raw kind of showed us that That like, hey, if you actually just do this stuff, like you're actually going to get better and you're not going to be as hurt. So by the time that 2010-11 came around, I think that's when we started to get the first strength and conditioning coaches. So you can imagine um, that the whole tactical athlete thing. Like, I don't even think it was a thing then. It was maybe this very nascent idea of just like, what does that even mean? So like some of the coaches that we got, they're football guys, you know, um, and a lot of them are still around. So they were adapting, too, and they were growing, too. But they knew enough of what they were doing to have us ready to go, and that was where you started to like see some of the things that I think the army's going through. Where it's like, hey, I'm not going to trust this guy because he's not a ranger. You know, what does he know about combat? I've been deployed four times, or I've been deployed five times. Um, I think we're kind of beyond that now, but initially there was a lot of that in there. Um, but as the program evolved, it provided resources. In the, in the performance of the Rangers kind of started to speak for itself, the guys who really bought into it, I, I think we're there's no looking back now, really.
1: Do you think that um, – I mean, because that last point you mentioned, it, it hits close to home, just the idea of somebody who hasn't been deployed four or five times, whatever, doesn't know what they're talking about. Do, do you think that that is just the easy button excuse for not maybe exposing yourself to something you're unfamiliar with versus – I mean, because I think of, you know, a lot of the strength coaches that I know and I've worked with and even outside of the military setting, like football, basketball, collegiate sport, whatever. Sure. Some of them have, have competed in that sport and competed well, but a lot of them maybe haven't. And I don't think in every single instance, that means that they don't necessarily know what they're doing. And And you hear it in the army now, like you mentioned, it's like the easy excuse to avoid, you know, getting with a strength coach, getting a program training in a way that you may be unfamiliar with. And you look at a lot of the people making that excuse and it's like, man, you know, my mom could probably train you better than you're training yourself right now. So the fact that this guy or gal has not been in the military seems like a bit of a cop-out. And I, I kind of went on a bit of a rant there. Sorry, mom. But what are your what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, uh, I could have a really emotional reaction to that one. Um, so my first thought is like, hey, the people that are saying that, What are you, are you you saying it because you've been to combat? If so, like, what is your rank? Because, like, we haven't really been, like, slugging it out recently. Some units have. Very select, small group of people, right? And if you have been slugging it out, like, are you basing your entire fitness plan on the one firefight that you got in? Or the one mission that you went on? Because that's probably not a good idea either. But I think that it is really about fear. Right. So if you, if you're like, Hey, you asked me to, to program something out for myself, uh, we're putting squats in there. We're putting heavy cleans in there. And I'm going to do all the things that I'm good at. Right. And I'm going to value the things that I'm good at over the things that I'm not good at, even if it doesn't make any sense. I think that's all that's really happening is like people are like, you know, the plank, for example, or the, the leg tuck. Sorry. We we'll give Alex some love here. <laughs> like, why did why did people hate the leg talk so much? It's because they weren't good at it. And it was kind of weird. And there was some timing in there. And there's like some other components to it. So instead of going, man, this is a tough thing, but I can understand the value of it. We're just going to commit to it. What do we do? We just like, we discredit it. And then we discredit the people who say that it's a good idea because they haven't been to combat. That's just ignorance. And I think that, you know, back to like the, the ranger athlete warrior program, like how we overcome that in the ranger regiment is the fittest guys in the unit are the most bought into the coaches. They're the most bought into what the coach is telling. It's disappointing, you know, but I, I see it. Like I'm, I'm here and I see the NCOA is like right down the street. And I see people like walking across the street during PT hours. And part of me thinks that like, that is just because they don't really know what to do right so the apft kind of deconstructed some of that for us because like if you're just going to do the apft it's like you always know what to do you're gonna do some push-ups do some sit-ups you go for a run well now it's like we open this like aperture up and we went hey it's so much more than that and you take that and you go oh people aren't good at it well they don't want to come talk to you as their strength coach But the thing that I think that people don't understand is like, I I look at the strength and conditioning coaches, I could go in there and I could tell them anything. I could be like, man, I've been drinking too much. I'm overweight. I'm not doing great. My five mile time sucks. And you know what they would say? We got you, dude. Come in. We're going to take care of you. That is a totally different thing than if somebody comes into their platoon sergeant and tells them that same thing. Right. So, you know, why do I think it is? I think it's fear. I think it's ignorance. But there's just like this whole other side to it that people are missing. Because like you, as a strength and conditioning coach, you're, what is like the skin in the game for you? It's just to take care of these guys. It's not to write their eval. Right? And like, what are you evaluating them on? Like their effort, you know, that they showed up to listen to you. Like, so I think my message to those people is like, Stop doing that. (laughs) You know, just listen to these people. They're paid to help you. They're not judging you.
2: So speaking of the the difference between the coach's role and the NCO's role, I'm going to ask a two-part question here. And the first, and I'm sure you've heard us talk about this before, both on the Instagram and the podcast, is that balance of NCOs and coaches who has like what piece of physical training and things like that. But I'm also curious about specifically in that, rasp assessment and selection environment like how involved is the human performance staff in like developing how you operate that as well
0: they're pretty involved we we involve them like iteratively so we kind of like lock in on like hey we're doing this this is kind of what it is so i'll give you an example of giving away all the secrets and i think we went to metagon over this like there's a portion of rasp one uh, and I'm not going to give the secret away, but it's the first two weeks. Um, that is really, really hard. And it is really taxing on the central nervous system. And we probably take people to the point where they can't really recover. And we know this because we take them out on events and it's like, they want to give the effort, but it's like they're reaching in this empty box, right? And we know, we see it. Well, that third week, you know, it's not easy. But it's easier, right? And like, what is that third week for? And who came up with that plan? Like, not a sergeant, right? That was like somebody who understands physiology and like looked at the load, the load, like how many times we were carrying a ruck, what was the distance that we went, what were the events that we were doing, how many were upper body focused, how many were lower body focused, and mapped this thing out and said, okay, there's a chance that actually by the time that they go into the fourth week they could be ready because the fourth week is cold range and that's like the hardest week of the whole program. They could actually be like really ready to go out there and like show you what, show you what you're looking for. Um, So the coaches are absolutely a, a part of it. The nutritionist is absolutely a part of it, of making sure that like, you know, we have the right plan for these people to feed them and take care of them and make sure that we're like, we're not asking them to do something that's totally impossible, like calorically or or whatever. And then what do NCOs own? Well, the NCOs own the same thing that NCOs own in the army. They own execution, and they and they own this like dutiful responsibility to their commander. If they see opportunities to make improvements, to tactfully and respectfully bring those to the table, and and say, hey, this is why I think. We need to change this and here's like the information that I have for you. That's what the NCOs of. It's like the execution phase. We definitely will take input from the cadre of like what's working and what's not working. But in terms of like massive program overhaul, like we're going to get the professionals in there. We're going to lay this thing out. We're going to take a look at it together.
1: Has I mean, this, this could probably be its own podcast entirely, but I've seen this happen before with selection programs like this, where you get this influx of data now that we're kind of in 2023. Like you have, I mean, you mentioned wearables and everybody wants to monitor everything. Has has data changed any of this process? And if so, has that been sort of a net positive? Or do you think it's just created a bit of a burden?
0: Well, part of the struggle is that because I think a lot of our we are a really small selection program compared to like Swick, which is, you know, it's probably five times the size. I, I wouldn't even be able to like measure how, how, how big it is. The manner in, uh, in which we've captured the data and the mechanisms that we've used has been varied. So it hasn't always been easy to like aggregate it in a centralized spot so that we could use it. What do we use the data for now? Well, like, I'll just give you like a real world examples. Like we're looking at like components of the PT test and trying to correlate them to like people who voluntarily withdraw from a program. So like, you know, you could probably just sitting there be like, Hey, yeah, if you can't run fast, you're probably going to voluntarily withdraw, but we want to know like what that point is. Right. Um, another one that's kind of popped up recently, which is not, it is not supported by a very good p-value yet but i think a couple more classes of data like upper body pulling strength measured by pinups well why is that helpful well we do a lot of rope climbs we climb over walls a lot we do a lot of obstacles so like if you're asked to go repeatedly up to the top of the 30-foot rope and that's terrifying for you right and you feel like you're going to die at the top like maybe you will voluntarily withdraw so is that, a, is that like a RSOP attribute problem? Or is that like we haven't appropriately prepared this person problem? So, so we look at all of it. When we looked at the changing the PT test to match the uh, ACFT, uh, we were doing, you know, like regression analysis on like everything. Like if you you could tell me how many push-ups you did, and I could tell you what your RPAT time was, plus or minus like 90 seconds, right? which I know that's a big range, but it's relatively good because we were trying to figure out, like, hey, and I'm sure the Army did this for the ACFT, like, hey, we already have this known thing, and how do, how does that translate out into these other unknown things, right? We're trying to do this predictive process. So so we use that um, quite a bit, but I will tell you, we are not hostages to it. I think our command uses it for, for information, but I think above all else, they are to quote our regimental sergeant major he cares about a uh, culture over capability every day and, and twice on Tuesday and that's not to say that like we're just going to keep it hard because it needs to be hard it's actually the opposite right it's actually like hey if, if this thing that we're doing isn't telling us anything like let's put something in here that is or let's use these period these blocks maybe to like to teach somebody something and to make an input. So I don't if that answer your question, but. No, it's perfect. We're, we're, we use it, but we're not, we're not prisoners to it.
2: I like that a lot. We, we have crossed the hour mark here and I want to be respectful of your time, but I do also want to give you an opportunity before we wrap this thing up. Is there anything that we have not hit on in this conversation that we should have? Is there anything that you want people to? whether it's the broader army, whether it's human performance staffs, whatever it is, is there, are there messages you want to get out that we haven't set you up to talk about yet?
0: I think, uh, yeah, I probably should say a little bit more about RASP, just like that people should try to come to the Ranger Regiment because, you know, you're going to be led by the best people who care about you. We have the resources and capability to make you great. I don't know. Do you, do you have any ideas on that?
2: I think there's something there because we technically we weren't talking about RASP for large parts of it, but I think in a pretty big way we were because we kind of talked about like setting a high bar and striving for it, and culture performance, and leading by example, and all those things. And I think those the the reason we talked about those things is because RASP embodies those in a pretty significant way, and Ranger Regiment itself embodies those in a pretty significant way, and. So I don't, I don't know if we set the episode up as necessarily a recruiting thing for Ranger Regiment necessarily, but I think there's, there's something there about, like, I mean, hey, I'm
1: inspired.
2: Yeah. If this appeals to you, there is a place you can go live in that culture.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, okay. So if I, th- I think then what I would want people to know is like, Hey, in respect to like H2F, right. Because like. I believe in this stuff, like, you know, big time. I I wish that everyone just, the whole army would just, like, buy all the way in. For the strength and conditioning coaches and the people that are a part of this, you got to understand that it's not going to happen overnight. And to not get discouraged. Because if you were to go back, you know, you brought up the, the Ranger Athlete Warrior from 2007. Like, I'll find you somebody to tell you that story. And I'm pretty sure it's not a good one, right? I'm pretty sure there's resistance in there. I don't know if Nick Berenger was in there. I know you guys talk to him all the time. Like he could probably tell you, I could find you some other other guys that were there. Change, even in a high performing unit, is not, it doesn't happen quickly, right? It comes in these like little incremental gains. And if you're a strength and conditioning coach and you're coming from like a football world, which a lot of them do, and you're and you're responsible for like how many games Alabama won this year in their injury rate and you want everybody to line up and get in the rack and do it your way like that's not going to work and you just got to know that like you might have to lower your standard to just like hey everybody came to uh, practice with a water bottle today or everybody came to training with a water bottle today and, like, half of them made breakfast before they came. Like, that might be, like, your first point of influence. And that's okay. Don't give up. You got to meet people where they're at. Our our nation actually needs you to do that. You know, we talked a little bit about the initial, uh, the condition of just our, our country's youth and and all that. Which, that's a whole other podcast, right? But, like, don't worry about all that. Like, these people show up to your facility every day. Like, don't lose the faith. Like... Show up every day pumped up to, to inspire somebody, to meet them where they're at, to give them your best effort and know that like this is a, this is probably a decade long process that we're in. I think it has been for the ranger regiment. Um, and we still have hiccups and things still aren't perfect, but it is critically important. You've got to show up every day pumped up, ready to try to make someone better. That's what we do in the ranger regiment. I think, in my opinion, I go to, I go to work every day pumped up. And guess what? If I'm not the strength and, and conditioning coaches usually are. And so are the guys to my left and right, at least a couple of them. So I hope that's, that's what everyone can carry out of it. Um, as we work to make the army better, implement the ACFT, whatever it may be. But that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah.
2: I'll shout out to you mentioned it earlier in the conversation. Their, their human performance staff does post like monthly challenges that they do. So if you're if you're curious and like want to see where you stack up, they usually post some of the results that rangers are getting on those challenges. Highly encourage joining in. We'll put the at in the show notes. Yeah, definitely, definitely check it out. I uh I've only been able to like participate in person one time. I was out there with 275 and jumped in, and I was pretty proud of myself getting the bottom spot on the leaderboard.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: They got some studs.
0: You just didn't do it right. You just got to pick the ones that play to your strengths. Like you just don't do them unless you're good at them. Right. Isn't that like the right way to behave?
1: Absolutely. If you're the strongest person, if you're the strongest person in the gym, you're in the right gym. Yeah, that's right.
2: I thought I was doing that. I thought I was picking a workout I would do well at. Cause I had rope climbs and I'm good at rope climbs. And what I did not realize is that in this particular workout, the rope climbs were the recovery. <laughs> um, it was, it was sled. It was tank sled pushes and rope climbs. And man, that tank ruined my day. Yeah.
0: There are some just freaky guys here. Um, but it keeps you honest, you know, keeps you humble, keeps you working every day.
1: Is there, I mean, we asked this to, to everybody we have on, just, you know, is there a place people can go to find more? And I mean, the obvious answer is yeah, go to Ranger school and then go to RASP one. And, you know, but is there a, a, a place that comes to mind or, or a, maybe, you know, a clearinghouse of a place people can go to find out more about just the environment, the the process, the program, any of that?
0: There's a lot of bad information
1: on the internet. Um, I was gonna say don't go to Reddit. You you know, uh but
0: I think our recruiting uh we have a 75th like recruiting Instagram. We have YouTube videos, so there's like a great like if you just want to know the spirit of the Ranger Regiment, right? Like what is this thing about? There's a six-part uh video that covers the Ranger Creed. Like just watch those six videos and be like, and then you just make your decision, right? Like are those people that I want to be around or not? We have kind of increased the social media stuff because it's, I think, important. People look at it. They pay attention to it. Um, but in terms of like a credible resource, um, I don't really know because I don't, I don't really seek them out. So I'm, I'm not sure. And also like we kind of hang our hats on like Rangers don't write books, but that might be to our de- detriment points, you know? <laughs> Um, but I think, yeah, the recruiting page, YouTube, the, the YouTube page is pretty good. And then you can hit us up, hit us up on the Instagram and we'll talk to you.
1: Slide into the Ranger DMs.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: We'll well, thank you. Up. Thank you for coming on. I think there, I mean, there's been a ton of nuggets in here. I'm going to have, Alex is going to have our time getting one sound bite for the beginning. So we appreciate this.
2: I, I recently had like a a coach expressing to me that it felt like some of our episodes recently had not been as aimed at coaches as some of our earlier episodes and this one this one seemed squarely (laughs) aimed like there's a lot here for soldiers to consider for ranger regiment things like that but there was a lot of talking directly to human performance staff so i think they will appreciate that
0: those guys are like my favorite
2: guys hey alex let's cover our ass real quick oh great idea drew all right guys the views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent.
1: Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Before you go, please rate and review the pod on the listening platform of your choice. You can also visit us on our website at www.mopsinmose.com. That's Mops, the letter N, Mose.com. You can check out the library of podcast episodes our latest blog entries, any helpful resources, and also sign up for our
2: newsletter. Drew nailed it. Just to underline a couple of things, the podcast entries have in-depth show notes on the website. So if you missed anything or you want to read any of the research we talk about, it is all there. You can, at the bottom of the website, sign up with your email and receive future updates from us. The blog posts go a little bit more in depth in kind of written form on a couple of topics we get questions about all the time. But most importantly, I just want to ask all you guys, our best way the word gets out is absolutely word of mouth. So tell your friends, tell the people you work with, anybody you think would find it useful. Thanks for spreading the word. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to shoot us an email
1: at either Drew or Alex at mopsandmos.com.
2: Or there's a contact form on the website. Thank
1: you.